indeed that we have sang about this morning and proclaimed already and neat to be able to celebrate graduation this morning and plenty of other family things that we know that are going on as uh, we come to Romans chapter 16 and uh, his thanksgiving for those that have been a part of his life. If you would turn to that passage, Romans chapter 16, as we come to the end of our time in this wonderful letter that we've been in for the last five months. Um, it's always kind of a, a bittersweet thing to come to the end of a book like this, a sermon series. Uh, exciting because of what's coming next, and I'm excited about uh, our sermon series coming in the summer, looking at worship and the questions of worship. Who do we worship? Why do we worship Him? What, how do we worship? Where do we worship? And so excited about uh, what the Lord's going to do with that, and also uh, with uh, the Sunday school. You all will be looking at Philippians through the summer. And so I would encourage you, uh, if you have not already, the reading plans for the summer are in the back um, as they will walk you through uh, this idea of worship they're going to be doing and also through Philippians. And so I would encourage you to grab those. Um, and uh, also, I would encourage you, if, uh, if this is your thing, um, when we go through a book, uh, we are going through um, Christ-centered exposition or the books that we're using for Sunday school. Um, and so uh, I would encourage you, uh, if, uh, if that is your alley, that you would uh, think about purchasing one of those. They're not too expensive. They're about 10 bucks, um, as, uh, just as a help, as a study guide, uh, as we go through Philippians together this summer in Sunday school. But as we come to 16, it's also, uh, while it's exciting to look ahead at what's going on, it's also uh, a little bit sad because Romans has been a good book and we have uh, learned much through it. I hope that you've been blessed. I hope you've been challenged. Um, and we have ran through it. Uh, there are probably another three years of sermons in here that we have just kind of breezed through. But we come to 16 and Paul begins to say kind of some fond farewells. It's, it's a greeting, it's a farewell, all wrapped up into one. And so if you would this morning, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to read all of 16. And so uh, if you need to take a seat in the middle of that, then that is perfectly understandable. I'd also ask that you go ahead and forgive me for the names that I'm about to not do well with. Um, so 16. The wonderful, wonderful ending of, the, of Romans. I commend you to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sinecre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscia and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinius, who was the first, the first convert to the Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet also those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. 
Greet my kinsmen Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Astanius, Philasian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you as do Lucius and Jason and Sospater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Cordius, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of, that, of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the relationship that you have put before us, that we may know you and be known by you. Father, we thank you that you have placed us in a family that is not made by the blood of humans, but that is made through the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that binds us together, not just in this life, but for all eternity. Father, may we desire those relationships more and more. May we desire you. May we desire one another. May we enjoy and rejoice in the company of the saints. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we come to chapter 16 in Romans, uh, it is only fitting that we start with a review of the rest of the letter. As if you have been with us uh, at any point in the last five months, uh, with the exception of one week, I think, we have done a review of the book for two purposes. One of those is that we may review the book so that we can better understand the context of the passage that we are in this morning. The other is so that we may remember the truths of this book, that when someone comes to you and says, 
Man, I love that letter of Romans. You can say, yes, it's amazing how he talks about these things. And that we would be reminded, and and as we go through trials and tribulations, or as we rejoice in the great truths of what God has done in our lives, that we would remember his word. And so it's appropriate that as we close out Romans this week, that we would do one last review. So a review of chapters 1 through 15 before we sink our teeth into chapter 16. First, Paul starts off this letter by reminding us that we are all justly convicted and rightly sentenced. That all of us have made mistakes. All of us have sinned against God. That we've committed treason against him. And that because of that, we are rightly sentenced. And the sentence is hell. It is physical death and it is eternal separation from God and from all of his blessing. From all all parts of his presence. Paul calls us to ponder the seriousness of our actions and of the consequences. But he does not leave us there. In chapter 3, Paul begins to unfold the beauty and the grandeur of this plan that God has given us. That Jesus Christ has come wrapped in the flesh to live a perfect life so that he may not be deserving of consequences, so that he may pay for ours That he died on the cross and rose three days later victorious. That he may offer us the gift of salvation. That whoever would accept it by faith would be saved. That they would be justified. In other words, they would be taken from guilty to innocent. No longer deserving of consequence, but deserving of blessing as heirs to the throne. As adopted children of the king. Paul spends a good chunk of the rest of the first 15 chapters rejoicing then in this plan of salvation that God started from the beginning and will bring to completion one day. He rejoices that we now have peace with God, that we are secure in his grace as adopted children, that we can rejoice in the hope that we have to come and that we can rejoice even in the sufferings now knowing that they all lead to a grander thing. He rejoices that God's plan of salvation has continued through the ages and will lead to completion one day when he returns and a new heaven and a new earth are instituted and those from his those that have put their faith and trust in him are drawn close to him to live with him forever in a place with no more suffering, no more death and no more tears. He rejoices in these things and he calls us to do the same. Starting in chapter 12, though, he reminds us that in the meantime, we are to be living sacrifices. That as we rejoice in the joy of our salvation, as we think upon all that he has done for us, that while we wait for his return, that we are to be living sacrifices, that we are to offer our lives Every part of it, every, uh, uh, every talent, every gift, every word, every action, we are to offer them to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? We are to be living sacrifices on a mission 
Last week, we looked at that mission that we are to go and to glorify the name of Jesus Christ in all the world, to take the name of Jesus where it is not yet proclaimed and that we all have a part on that. Whether we are some that are called to go to those places or whether we hold the rope behind them by praying for them, by supporting them, and by making sure that we do our part here, that we who have been called to this place at this time with our neighbors and our families and our community, that we would make sure that the name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed here. We must do that together. Having called us to this mission, having reminded us of the the gospel, the good news that we have been given, Paul then concludes his letter with some greetings. And what we're going to find is that in these greetings is a thankfulness that exudes from Paul, but also a recognition of those who have done these things well. He starts off by talking about how he is thankful for those that have served. Verse, chapter 16, verse 1, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sinecrae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her with whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Paul, having talked about what it means to be a living sacrifice, puts before us someone who has served well. He says, look at Phoebe. Look at this this wonderful woman who has personified what it means to be a living sacrifice, that she has served the church well. And in doing so, he calls others, including us, to look upon that example and to desire to do the same. That we too, as individuals, should look to this lady and say, okay, how do I mirror that? How do I copy that so that I too can serve others well? So that I too can be this living sacrifice that I've been called to be? There's another part of this as well, though. Paul says that we are, that we are to honor her, that we're to help her in whatever she may need. It's not just that she serves well, but it's, that it's a reminder to serve her well. That we don't just elevate individuals and say, well, you, you are that individual. You serve, you do all the work, but that we are to serve each other to help one another, that no one is in this alone, that no one goes it alone, but rather we are to walk shoulder to shoulder on this mission that God has given us to glorify the name of Jesus Christ to the whole world, to draw closer to him. And then it's just a, there's just a recognition here that happens as well. And we're going to see that as we get into the next one as well. But there's a recognition that happens. Not that we want to put anybody on a pedestal and say that they're better than everyone, but just a recognition of a job well done. And we need to be doing that as well. And it's not not something that has to be complicated, but to encourage one another, to come alongside someone and say, hey, I see you serving in this way, and you're doing a great job. 
For those of you that are card writers, that is not my gift. I, I try at times to write cards, but it just doesn't come naturally to me. Some of you it does. But to sit down and to write a card and say, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep going. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. To buy somebody a, a soda at the gas station, to, to give them a break at times. How do we how do we honor those that serve well among us well. There are tons of little ways that we can accomplish that. He goes on, he says not only does he want to be thankful for those that have served, but those that have sacrificed. He says, greet Prisia and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. You will see uh, here, it says Priscilla, that is a shortened verb of Priscilla and Aquila that you see throughout the New Testament. It's the same couple. Throughout the New Testament, this couple has served well the church. You're going to see them in Acts. You're going to see them in some of the other letters. They have a very interesting story in that they come to Christ, and they, while they are in, or they come to Christ, they are from Rome, but they have been kicked out of Rome as Jews by an emperor that has uh, tried to rid the city of all Jews and all Christian, uh, and, and many Christians, not all of them, but many of them. But he rids the town of Jews, and so they are forced to go into exile outside of their home. And so Paul finds them living in exile, and he gains a friendship with them. And they, they help to start a church together, and they, they help, obviously, Paul, as we see here, but we also see them mentor a young man named Apollos and present the gospel to him and help him to grow as a minister as well. And it's you think about it, they are in exile. This is a difficult time of life for them. They have been pushed out of their home. They've been pushed out of their jobs. They've been forced to go find a different place to live. You would think that they of anyone could sit and wallow in their misery and say, woe is me, come help me. And that's not what happened. But they turn around and they say, we have been pushed out that we may serve someone else. And they find and they look for folks that they can take care of. At times, it appears at the risk of their own life. And now, now there's a new emperor and he has invited the Jews to come back in. They go home and they go home and apparently they have started a church in their very own home. Again, in a place that is not always welcoming to Christians, to say the least. He says, I am thankful for those who have sacrificed, for those that have put everything on the line. And again, there's a call here to be like them. That the call to follow Jesus Christ at times means being uncomfortable. At times it means doing those things which scare us. At times it means sacrificing in different ways. But realizing and understanding that the gift that we have been given in Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life, the gift of knowing our creator is grander and greater than anything we will give up in this life. And so Paul puts these two individuals for it, this couple for it and says, be like them, greet them, thank them for us, encourage them for us. So Paul is thankful to those who have served. He is thankful to those who have sacrificed. And he is thankful for those who are family. 
It's interesting, as you read through this text, he talks about my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. He talks about those that are the first to come to Christ. He talks about brothers and sisters and all of this other things. And then we come to a verse that is one of my favorite in this whole text. He says in chapter, verse, sorry, verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. He says, greet this, greet this brother for me. Say hi for me, for Rufus, and to his mom as well, because she's been like a mom to me. Many of you have heard, if you've, if you've been here and attended here, you have heard me talk about the fact that I have more than one mom in Christ, that um, in, in God's great sovereignty and God's great blessing that he has put other ladies in my life who have served kind of like surrogate moms in a way, to, um, alongside my own mom. Um, Nathan's mom, Cindy, is one of those. Uh, my pastor, Jeff, his wife, Betty, is one of those. That They, they are my other moms, and I, I have been blessed by them. I go to them, and, and I, can, I can tell them things. I can lean on them for things, and they speak wisdom and truth into my life. They encourage me. They're cheerleaders in my life. They're amazing women. There's also times that it's not so fun. When I do boneheaded things, I don't get chastised once. I get chastised three times. Okay, so it comes with all of it, right? But it's family. I think of grandparents in Christ, some of whom have passed in this last year, but I think of Leo Hill, who taught me how to pray. I think of Otis Woodson, who taught me how to serve as a deacon. I think of so many others, uh, Dave Corkin and uh, Dave Dexheimer and so many others who have, have left us in this last few years that they were grandparents in my life who loved on me well, who spoiled me well in Christ, but also who taught me so many incredible life lessons. I think of aunts and uncles in Christ. I think of brothers and sisters in Christ who have walked alongside me in difficult times and rejoiced with me in fun times, who have supported and encouraged me. I think of nieces and nephews in Christ who I have been able to mentor and to love on and to pass on what I have been given by those that have come before. I think of sons and daughters in Christ who God has given me the pleasure of leading them into his presence I think of all of you I think of family and here's the thing as we are thankful for family and as we're thankful for what God has done in putting us all in this place and binding us together, not by the blood of, of men, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, that unbreakable bond that will last for all eternity, we understand that because we're family, we're going to drive each other crazy sometimes. We're going to disappoint each other sometimes. We're going to step on each other's toes sometimes. It's always funny to me that almost without exception, every time I do a funeral and I'm sitting with the family and we're talking about their loved one and, and we're trying to make plans and put things together, that someone will either loudly or quietly say, you must think our family is nuts. And every time I look at them and I say the same thing, no, I think you're a family because we're all nuts. Like, it's just part of being family, right? 
And so it should not surprise us that as we gather together as a church from different places and from different backgrounds with different experiences, as we gather together as a family of God, it should not surprise us that there are moments that we drive each other crazy. It should not surprise us that there are moments that that relationship is difficult. But we must remember who we are. We are sons and daughters of the King that we are brothers and sisters, moms and dads, uncles and aunts, nieces and nephews, sons and daughters of one another. And so we serve one another. We greet one another well. We are thankful for one another. It's interesting as you read through one of the Roman historians from the, from the second century after Christ's death, we we read that they are confused by these who will follow the way because they greet one another in familiar terms when they are not related. In other words, they would greet one another as brother or sister, and they would give that holy kiss on the cheek, which we don't practice, but many places still do. And the Romans were like, what in the world is that about? They're not related. Like, they don't even look like one another. And it astounded them. And then they begin to look further into it. It's like they support one another like family. They serve one another like family. They give to one another like family. What is going on there? Oh, that we would be that family. That we would stand shoulder to shoulder to one another. To put that individual that needs help in the center and say, don't worry about it. We got you. We got you. Because we do have an enemy. Paul speaks of this in the next part of our passage in verse 17. He says, protect the family. He says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles to the contrary, to the doctrine that, have, that you have been taught Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. He says, be careful. As he greets these folks, as he thanks God for these folks, for their service, for their sacrifice, as he marvels at the family that God has put together, he reminds this church in Rome, be careful. Watch out for one another because we do have an enemy. We do have one who roams around, as Peter says, looking to see who can devour. I don't know that I ever fully understood that in the depth until last time I went to Africa. I had the pleasure of going and serving with a group from Calvary, and we were serving a brother that was there full-time. And on the last, next to last day, he said, hey, why don't we take an afternoon and, and take a quick safari? And so we decided we were going to do that. And as we were on safari, we were looking at this herd of wildebeest. And they are the ugliest creatures on the world. Like, they are just not pretty things. And so you just can't help but look away. Like, <laughs> like they're that kind of ugly that you're just like, it's a train wreck that I have to watch. And they're all mulling around. And all of a sudden... They snap to, and all of them turn and face one direction, and they're standing right next to each other, horns out, and you're like, what in the world just happened? 
And I, I looked, and out of the bushes stepped a male lion. And it was like, aha, <laughs> that's what happened. And they shoved all the young behind them, and they stood as a united wall against this lion, and he just casually walked in front of them, and every once in a while he would glance over. And I thought to myself, that's the church. That's the church, that we have an enemy who would love nothing more than to separate, to get us sick and to get us ill and to separate us from the herd and make us live life on our own so that he may devour us. But oh, that we have this church, that we have this beautiful family that is there to protect against those that would do us harm. And so we watch out for those who would divide us. We watch out for those who divide us, Paul says. For those that would try to make small issues big issues, that would try to preach a gospel that does not line up with scriptures. We watch out for these folks because they are not of us, nor are they with us, nor do they desire what is good or right, nor do they hope for the best for the church. They desire their own gain. So we protect the family by watching out. We protect the family by being wise in all things. He says in verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil he says, be wise in all things. Now, it's a funny thing about wisdom is that it has two parts. Wisdom has two parts. It has knowledge and it has application. I know plenty of people that are incredibly smart, but they do not know how to apply that information. There is a show that was on TV a few years ago that I won't mention because it's not worth you watching but there is an episode where they are all in the car together, and it's all these incredibly smart people. And they, the car breaks down. The engine just goes out on them, and the, the driver of the car says, okay, who here knows all the parts and understands how a combustion engine works? And all of these individuals raise their hand and say, yeah, totally got that. And then he asks a second question. Okay, who of you in here knows how to fix a combustion engine? And all the hands go down. That is intelligence and knowledge without application. It does you no good to know all the parts of the engine and how the engine works if you can't actually fix the engine the moment that it breaks down. And yet we kind of try to do the same thing, don't we? We, have been, we live in a time and a place when we have been gifted with more knowledge and more information at our fingertips than maybe all of history combined. That we have more Bibles, that we have more Bible studies, that we have more Bible dictionaries, that we have more Bible concordances, that we can listen to any amount of sermons at any time we want to or teachings. We have it all at our fingertips and we absorb it all, but do we apply it? It's one thing to know the information. It's another thing to be able to use it at the appropriate time. And yet there are also others who will say, I don't need knowledge 
that they will say, I can live my life without studying, I can live my life with all these things, and I will be just fine. And my response to that is, then why did he give you a book? If he didn't want you to study it, if he didn't want you to know it, if he didn't want you to to be able to identify the difference between good and evil, then why did he give you this? But he did. We can't look at knowledge and just dismiss it. That's not wisdom either. It's both and, that we would study this book, that we would draw closer to God, that we would allow him to help us to know how to apply it. That is wisdom that helps us to protect the family. Finally, in this passage, when he, in talking about protecting the family, he says, trust in the God who saves. He says the, in verse 20, the peace of God will soon crush Satan under your feet. Oh, how I wanted Nathan to sing that song this morning. Some of you don't know it, and when I was in youth, that was a staple. In fact, I read that verse, and I want to do the guttural <clears throat> at the end of it, okay? But he says, trust him. Throughout this whole letter, the Holy Spirit has been causing Paul to write about our salvation and about what God has done for us and where he's bringing us. And now we get to this point in the text and Paul is talking about, hey, we have an enemy. Hey, there are those out there that would like to divide us. Hey, we're in the middle of a fight. Protect one another. Circle the wagons, okay? Stand shoulder to shoulder to one another. But know that it won't, this won't last forever. Know that there is a time coming and coming soon when he will completely defeat the enemy. When we will no longer stand at the ready, but that we will be able to rest in the pleasure of our king and in the joy of our savior. He says, trust that this battle that we fight that this time that where we endure sufferings and grief and even loss at times, understand that it is temporary. That we can trust him. We are thankful for the family. We protect the family. And having said this, Paul brings us to the doxology. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... And the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul takes us back to the start. What I mean by that is if you were to turn to Romans, and we're not going to read the whole chapter this morning, but if you were to turn to Romans 1, you would find much of the same themes and the same words in, in the end of the book or the end of the letter as you do the beginning. Paul brings us up. He ties a bow by remi- on this letter by reminding us of the basic truths that he, has, he started out telling us that Jesus Christ is our strength. 
that to do any of these things that we have been commanded to do in this book and even in the and maybe especially in the book of Romans to do these things we must rely upon him whether it is in our salvation or whether it is in our sanctification, whether it is in our service as living sacrifices, whether it is on the mission of the gospel, we rely upon him. Second, he is our fulfillment. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations. He is the fulfillment of all that has been written and all that has been promised. Whether it was promised in the Old Testament that a Messiah would come, that a Savior would come, or whether it is the promise of the future that he will return, that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that one day we will see him in the flesh again, he is the fulfillment of all these things. So we can trust him. That he is our obedience in faith. That because of what he has done in our lives, because of the salvation that he has granted us, that now we turn and to him and that we follow him in all that we do. Not out of obligation as was to the law, but out of a joy of the one who has adopted us. Paul reminds us that he is our salvation. That he and he alone is the one that was able to do what no one else could. That though we were treasonous enemies of God, he took steps towards us. That he died for us. He died our death. That we may know that we may have peace with him, that we may live forever. As we come to the end of Romans, there are two invitations. There are two invitations to this book. Two, two moments, two calls to response to the word of God in the letter of Romans. One is, do you know him? Do you understand the gravity of your sin? Do you understand the gravity of your rebellion against God? That you have lied, that you've cheated, that you've disobeyed your parents, that you've done those things which God says we are not to do or not done those things we are to do. Do you understand the gravity of that and the consequence of that, that it is not temporary, but that it is eternal? And will you come to him for salvation? Jesus Christ stands before you this morning and says, come, know me. All you have to do is ask him for forgiveness. Believe that he is the son of God, that he died for you, that he rose three days later, and commit to follow him for the rest of your life. Will you come to him? Will you know him as your savior? Don't wait. Don't wait. You don't know what the next chapter of your life looks like. You don't know if there is a next chapter. Don't wait. The second invitation is this, is will you be part of the family? Will you be an active part of the family of God to know not only him, 
but to know one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to be on mission together, to hold the rope, to not just be a passive observer, but to be one that is here and that is active in the work of Christ. Will that be you? Can we count on you? Those are the invitations this morning. I don't know how God would have you to respond this morning, but I pray that you would take time in these next few moments just to come before the Lord and say, what would you have of me? That you would take time this morning if, you're, if you've never been his and say, I want you. And that you would confess that to somebody. That you would tell somebody. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're going to have a time of response to those two invitations. Maybe you need to go to a brother or sister in Christ and ask them to pray for you or, or offer to pray for them. Maybe you need to come forward this morning and say, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. What's next? Maybe you need to come forward and say, I, we want to be a part of this family. Whatever the response that you need to give this morning, I pray that you would not hesitate to do that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for family. Lord, we thank you for this group of people that you have put in this place at this time that we may encourage one another, that we may serve one another, that we may, that we may even sacrifice for one another, that we may live this life well, or that we may serve you well. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear your word this morning and that we would respond that we would desire to be a part of the family, that we would desire to, to invest in this place and in these people, that they may in turn invest in us. Father, that we may respond to your call of salvation. Father, I ask all of these things in your name. Amen. 329 <coughs> in your hymnal, if you would like to look at it there. <laughs>